Jack and I ended up in, in Dirk's dressing room and we got completely blotter. And Dirk suggested that we hide during lunch in the closet on the set. And then when they came back and did the scene, we'd open the closet door and deliver our last lines. But we were in that bloody closet for about an hour before anyone came back. And we were drunk. And Jack was my pal. And he was very attractive. My husband was in the Navy at the time. And I got pregnant in that closet. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined once again by Sam Meltzer to discuss Julie Christie's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1997 film Afterglow. Sam, good to have you back on the show. And it's amazing to be back here. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about why you picked Afterglow to be our uh, our the subject of our conversation here today. Well, um, I do love Julie Christie. I think she's an amazingly talented person. Um, and of her four Oscar nominations, I'm going to say this is by far the least well-known. I mean, not even a question. Yeah, um, as far like well known. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like it's so. it's just absolutely forgotten. That's I, I'm just gonna say it. it's it's no one knows what this movie is. Like, yes, outside of the outside of the very specific reason we're talking about it today, aside from the fact that Julie Christie was nominated for an Oscar for this performance, this movie has no cultural footprint, just yeah. like at all. Zero. I think it, it honestly like it might be like the least remembered best actress nomination of like that time like uh, of those couple years like it might be I mean I know yeah. people talk about some of the ones that you have on this show like no one's really talking about Nell but some people kind of make fun of it and that was like a whole thing and then no one really talks about tumbleweeds but like yeah. this is in that realm of like nobody I mean nobody's watching this these days and also like I, I mean just comparing it to other three McCabe and Mrs. Miller is an iconic movie yes and, and one that i've talked about already on yeah, the show you talked about that surprisingly one she almost won for and darling she did win for so all three of the other ones have some sort of substantial thing behind them whereas yeah. this just doesn't it um, really it doesn't really doesn't and then my other reason is that i think both of us are a big fan of jackie brown um and this is the supposedly the person who took Pam Greer's slot in the in the best actress race. And we can talk about that later. But considering the fact that that's one of both of our favorite performances of all time, I yeah. think that definitely had an impact in me choosing this very strange movie that got nominated instead of Pam Greer. Yes. And, I mean, that is a whole outrage in itself. I mean, that's yeah. just wrong for like a number of different reasons. And that's one. That Yes, and that's one that I will eventually be talking about a whole bunch yeah. when I eventually actually do the Jackie Brown episode. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. and and I think like the, like the whole the whole situation with Robert Forster just a little bit because I didn't want to go into that entire movie. Also, I assume that'll be a special episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. A, you assume really correctly. You assume correctly. I'd rather talk about this just because no one was ever like it might have taken you so long for someone to have chosen this film. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I mean, it, there's a lot here too. Yes, there's 
we were talking a little bit off mic before we uh, started recording. I have way more written down in my, in my notes than I expected to. Uh, one, before I watched the movie, when I didn't know anything about it, to the point that, like, prior to this week, I couldn't have told you a single other person in this movie aside from Julie Christie. And there's, like, people in here that I, I recognize. Uh, but, like, even watching the movie, I didn't expect to write down as much as it turns out I have actually written down. Uh, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So we are talking about... on here. <laughs> yes, a whole lot. And also, not a whole lot at the same not time. At the same time, that's the worst, isn't it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so we are talking about Afterglow from 1997, written and directed by Alan Rudolph, starring Nick Nolte, Julie Christie, Laura Flynn Boyle, Johnny Lee Miller few other people in smaller roles, but it's mostly just the four of them and their interpersonal relationships and workings and affairs and whatnot. Uh, it supposedly premiered uh, May 11th, 1997 at the Cannes Film Festival, but that information I can only find on IMDb and Wikipedia uh, under the listings for this movie specifically. And when you look at the listings of movies that played that can, this movie is not on there. So I don't know what's going on with that. I genuinely could not find any corroborating uh, information that Afterglow played at Cannes, aside from the fact that the IMDb and Wikipedia pages for the movie say that it did. But nowhere else is that information found. So maybe it did. Either way, it did play at TIFF, at least. It it played, uh, here, I I have that pulled up, Uh, the Toronto International Film Festival under the... Uh, special presentations uh, selection but then it had a limited uh, release December 26th of 1997 and then did not open wide until March 20th of 1998 a full three days before the Academy Awards so truly very few people had seen this movie by the time of the Oscars Uh, and that makes sense this isn't really a movie that I can imagine a lot of people wanting to go see, even if it did have like a, a an earlier, wider release. Mm. But yeah, so that's the movie we're talking about. Let's let's jump right into this performance that got nominated. The uh, the great Julie Christie in in this weird little role. How how do we feel about this performance? Just like on on a on a base level. I don't know. Yeah. I know that's like weird to say, but I don't know what I think of her performance. And I've seen this movie like two and a half times. And it's just like everyone in this movie is in a different movie. Yes. And so I feel the I exact same thing. I don't know if she's good or if she's not or if she, I don't really know what she's doing, but I don't really know what anybody is doing. Yes. I feel the same way about three of these cast members where I genuinely like go back and forth as to whether or not these are good or bad performances. One of them, I think, is just just, just yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into there's, that later. There's one that's just a bad performance. But, like, the other three, I kept waffling back and forth about, like, is this good? Is this bad? Is this anything? Where I think I come down on Julie Christie specifically is that it's the best performance in the movie. And for a large part of the runtime, it's the least interesting character. Because the reveal of, like, what's going on with her comes so late in the movie. 
after we've learned so much more about the other three characters. Like we know so much about Nick Nolte's internal life. We know about what Laura Flynn Boyle wants. We know that Johnny Lee Miller is this scumbag. All we really know about Julie Christie for a majority of the movie is that she's this aging B-movie actress that, like, all we know about her is in uh, in relation to Nick Nolte. We don't really get a lot of her internal until much later on in the movie. So mm-hmm. that it feels like they're trying to uh, to, like, not play their hand too quickly with what is going on with her. But in doing so, they don't really give her anything else to do for the first maybe hour of this movie. (laughs) And she's good in those parts, but she just doesn't have that much to do. And it's very underwhelming. Yeah, it's very strange the way this film is structured. So I'm just, I mean, like in the most simple way I can describe this movie, it's like two couples and they like switch around. Wife swap, if you will. But like, like, not not on purpose. Not on purpose. So, So the thing is, you have four very, very different characters that are in four different movies, as we like to say. Yes. And the thing with Julie Christie's character is that I believed her the most when I was watching her acting. Like that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you bought her the most. She has the most nuance to her role out of the four. Um, you said one of them you thought was like atrocious. I thought two of them were really atrocious. Nick Nolte, I think, is like, and eh, like his role, I think, is really bland, and it it doesn't give him anything interesting to do at all. So he didn't. He he kind of tried, but it's like it's like what can you really make of that performance? You can't really. It's it's kind of nothing. Yeah. And then he, I mean, it. This is the type of role that c- can get nominated, and obviously but, it did. <laughs> apparently, and obviously it did. I mean. You've talked about Betty Davis in The Star, and that's obviously a different time, and she's kind of playing a similar role, but the film is much more easy to understand what it's doing. With this, I just think that, I mean, part of the reason why you say that her the, the revelation within her character is revealed so much later on is because the affair between her and Johnny Lee Miller happens a lot later than the one between Lara Flynn Boyle and Nick Nolte. I mean, theirs yeah. is from the beginning of the movie and her affair, it takes a bit to get there. Yeah. Um, so so that makes, I mean, that kind of makes sense. But, I, I'm, but the thing is like the movie immediately takes any preconceived notions that her character is quote mentally ill because like literally in like the third scene, it's her at the doctor and he's like, there's nothing wrong with you. So that, I mean, that was just the movie's way of going, here's a very easy way of telling the audience that this character is perfectly fine. She's just sad in some way. And yeah. needs something there. It's just like, that's fine. But then it just, there are so many scenes of just her like sitting at random places or walking and nothing really happens. Yeah. The- yeah. So like, so Nick Nolte has his relationship, his, his marriage with Julie Christie. And we see him playing off Laura Flynn Boyle because they're having this affair. We see Laura Flynn Boyle having her affair with Nick Nolte and interacting with her husband, John Lee Miller. We see John Lee Miller interacting with his wife, Laura Flynn Boyle, and his uh, his work friend and the secretary that he thinks he might have a thing for. Julie Christie just really plays off Nick Nolte for the first hour of the movie. It takes so long for her to get another person she interacts with in any sort of substantial way, which really hangs her out to dry because she just has nothing, like literally... Most when when I try to think of what she's doing in the first hour of the movie, 
It's sitting on a park bench and chasing after someone she doesn't talk to. It's sitting at a restaurant and uh, looking at Nick Nolte. It's sitting at a different restaurant and talking with Nick Nolte. It's just that. And he's off. To, like, all the other characters have their own, like, different things that they can offer their different perspectives to. And she do- she just isn't given the right amount of you know, substantial interaction and and she just isn't given stuff to do for so long into this movie. And then by the time she does start, like, hooking up with Johnny Lee Miller, even that takes a while for that to really develop and become much of anything. Uh, Also, something that you mentioned is that her character is the most believable and the most, like, grounded. And I think that's true. And I also don't know if that's right for the movie. Because I think... This movie is very clearly trying to ape a lot of different sort of independent movements of the era. It's very much trying to be an Altman movie, and Altman was a producer on this. Yeah, it's that's trying... why I realized there are so many slow zooms in the yes. film. Yes, it's trying to be a little bit of a a Mike Lee movie. It's trying, like, it's trying to get at all of these different uh, directors of these character pieces, these ensemble pieces about interpersonal lives. And so much of what makes those types of movies work is that those are big characters and big, like, I think this movie is trying to be a bit of a satire. And you get that with, like, Laura Flynn Boyle's character always speaking French as, like, shorthand for her being this aloof sort of, uh, she thinks she's this classy, you know, uh, intellectual art artiste, and she's just not. And you get Johnny Lee Miller being this like big, like bloated sort of stereotype of a a macho businessman who has psychosexual stuff but going on with him. He's not this man he's, at he, all. He's not. And the casting is the issue there. But the character right. is written in a particular way to be so that. meek and like yes. weird, and it doesn't yes. work. No, yeah. I, I said I wouldn't spoil it, but no, he's the one that I think is is just outright terrible. Yeah, no, movie. he's really bad. No, um, I think Laura Flynn Boyle is worse. I think she's I think really I think at the beginning of the movie I had absolutely no uh no time for that performance. And as it went on, I don't know what it was. I, I have a lot of thoughts about her that I, I really need to dissect when we get to that. But like so those two characters are obviously very clearly written to be these big sort of satirical, cynical look at a a certain class of americans of this time and so is nick nolte he's like the stereotypical like rugged older handyman that sleeps with all of his uh, clientele or whatever and Mm. julie christie's character doesn't really get much of a, a a satirical bent to it and i think that ultimately hurts the character and the performance because it's just it isn't given much of any. It, it's it isn't given really any any room to breathe. She is playing it very realistically and very much grounding the character. But I think the character shouldn't be grounded. I think if she's playing this like aging B movie actress who's kind of a, a hypocrite in how she handles her relationship and how she uh, treats her husband and all of this, the character needs to be more flighty. The character needs to be more like. Uh, we get a little bit of her being kind of a flirt uh, with the the French-Canadian businessman that's a, some big client of uh, Johnny Lee Miller. But, like, they don't make her 
a big character. She's very understated. And while I think it makes for a good performance, I think it's not the performance that the movie needs for that character. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think she's very good in it. It's just an interpretation of the character that the rest of the movie is not meeting on that same level. Mm -hmm. uh, if, If that makes any sense. For sure. And I mean, I'll talk about more about her performance in a second, but like the satirical idea, I kind of thought that when watching. Um, but I don't even know if it was trying to be a satire or if it, yeah, like I have no I, idea what this movie's really trying argument. to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it's trying to be. But you know that argument scene between Johnny Lee Miller and Lara Flynn Boyle towards the beginning, where they're arguing about having a child and how she really wants to have a child and he doesn't. Yeah, and I mean, I know and exactly what you're talking about because she's like crying yeah. on the stairs and there's a yeah. literal spotlight on her a, a literal diegetic spotlight as she's sobbing that was the point where i was like oh this is a bad performance from her and then later on she kind of won me back over uh, and, but no that scene is unforgivable yeah of course but the, i mean obviously you watch that scene and the dialogue is just terrible like you can i mean it's just outright bad yes the thing is when i was watching that i realized maybe this is maybe it is trying to be a satire but maybe I'm just, I, I mean, satire is one of my favorite types of movies. Um, I mean, my favorite movie of this year is Triangle of Sadness. And, and The White Lotus last year, I'm one of my favorite shows. I mean, I, I love satires, but, you know, to bring it to something more re- close in time to something like this is a film you recommended, Happiness, which is an amazing. Yes, where Laura Flynn Boyle is, is fantastic at, at yes, playing that type of character. For sure. But the, the reason why I think something like that works more is because what makes a satire so good is that the dialogue still has to sound really natural. Yes. It's what they're saying has to be out of the ordinary. It's not that it has to be heightened. It's just that it has to be unique. And this movie thinks that it has to be so heightened for it to be funny and satirical, but it just comes off as strange and unnatural. And every time like a, a line of dialogue was said in that scene, it genuinely sounded like someone who spoke a different language wrote it in a different language and then it was Google translated. To yeah. It there's doesn't a, sound like anyone who would, any, nobody talks like that. There's a lot of issues with this script. And I I, yeah. I kept thinking of happiness in part because of the- Yeah, it's also, lo- happiness is a great movie. So it's yes, like, because Todd, <laughs> Salons, Todd Salons has a sharp authorial voice that like gets at a lot of, the actual like like this movie wants to be satirical but it doesn't have the uh the conviction to be anywhere nearly as cynical as where a lot of american independence independent cinema of this era was going and i can i mean there's a lot of different reasons where this movie fails at being that type of movie one of which being the fact that there's like there's only four characters and they aren't given any like character yeah. Happiness has like a cast of 20 or so significant figures that all are given some level of pathos. And this movie has four characters and can't do that for any of them. And it's it's just a whole mess. And so much of like, I don't want to pin that on on most of these cast members. Again, I think Julie Christie is fine here. Yeah, it's the best performance. It's the least interesting performance simultaneously. It's the one I have the, the least to say about, even less than like the ones that I think are significantly worse. Uh, and like the the most interesting part she has in this movie 
there's a scene where uh, she is now fallen back in with Johnny Lee Miller or whatever, and he takes her out to this dinner with this big, some sort of big wig businessman that Johnny Lee Miller has to win over. I was, I could not follow him. Oh no, there are so many plot points that just don't make sense. Yeah, it's just nothing. But she's speaking, she, she tells the story about how when she was this b-movie like sort of horror actress or whatever during one of the films uh she and this other actor ended up hiding in a closet on set uh to sort of like jump out during the filming and and uh get one over on the directors and while they were in this closet they were drunk and they were alone for an hour and they ended up uh having sex and she got pregnant and she was already married to nick nolte at this point uh and she has a daughter she doesn't tell either of them the truth about who the father is 15 years later she just sort of on a whim tells nick Nolte, hey by the way our daughter isn't your daughter uh and then that like this all happens she's just telling this story uh and it's such a weird (laughs) it puts such a weird spin on this character because what we know about their relationship up until this point is that they haven't had sex in a long time and there's sort of an unspoken agreement between the two of them that Nick Nolte, that Nick Nolte can sleep with whoever he wants so long as she doesn't find out about it or whatever it's all spoken like she talks about it in so the weird it was so weird yes. the way she talked about it yeah she really talks about it in weird why. metaphors uh and and like I don't know. So so this sort of puts a a different light on that arrangement. But she's she talks about it so flippantly uh and describes it as like she just sort of assumed that he would be totally fine with the fact that hey by the way the daughter you've been raising for the past decade and a half isn't actually yours. Whoops. And then because of that because they get in a fight and then the daughter runs away and that's why they've moved to Montreal to try to find her. And I don't know, just like it it doesn't really ring true for the character that we've known at this point. But I also say that and then I like we don't really know this character up until this point. Like I've been saying, we know more about everyone else. And then Julie Christie, all we really know is that she's she has some sort of resentment towards Nick Nolte that she's letting simmer uh, and her old co-star died and she's kind of sad about that and reflecting on her own mortality by rewatching their old movies on TV. And that's about it for the first more than an hour of this movie. I would say, I, I don't really know. It's a short movie, but it feels like it goes on very long. Um, not sure. It's like normal length. It's like, Oh yeah. It's like an hour 50, but yeah. like it feels longer than that. And part of that is I had to break it up. Uh, with like a, a significant uh, uh like i watched the first hour 10 hour 20 and then i had to go do something else for a while and then i watched the last half just before we recorded just now but like it it is a slow moving movie for the movie that it is because nothing really really interesting happens i mean in theory this movie should not exist i mean i thought about it there isn't this story just isn't interesting even if it was, even if it had a better script, even if it had a better director, and I think act, there's something that you could get something just, out I of this premise. I don't think it would be great. 
I, I just, I, I don't see this story being amazing in any way. Maybe this story as a part, a smaller part in one of those bigger ensemble movies, sure. But on its own, it isn't enough. For yeah. Time because it is an interesting concept, but once you 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 realize what it's saying and how these two couples are switching it's not interesting after you've you've learned that it, it, it's just like oh that's kind of cool and then you're bored because yeah. not enough to keep you going there's a lot of stuff of these, any of these characters going there's a lot of stuff here that meanders and i think if you tightened up a lot of these th- these sections like you're saying yeah this could be maybe 20 minutes out of a longer ensemble like happiness like shortcuts like these these 90s independent big cast uh just like domestic drama about weird fucked up people all sort of interconnected with one another uh because this movie tries to do the whole interconnected thing where like oh isn't it funny that these two couples accidentally sort of started swapping with each other uh subconsciously or whatever but you can't really have an interconnected uh, like thesis like this when it's about two pairs of people where they're both already interconnected with one of them just like in by by marriage. I don't know. Like it's trying to do the whole Magnolia happiness shortcuts thing of like, oh, look at all these people's lives crossing paths. And, and isn't it interesting that they all have these fully fleshed out stories that are going their own separate ways and happen to cross paths but no they're they're already crossing paths with one of them and then the other one shows up and it's it's just like i don't know there's a lot of script issues and and we it, don't have to get into all of that just because it's not that interesting yeah for a while um i don't know i mean more on julie christie i think mostly she's good enough I, I think she's the most believable, but there that there are a few moments where I do think she's kind of bad. I think that scene at the very end when she's screaming and crying, yeah. I think she's pretty bad there. Oh yeah, that was very, very melodramatic. It, it just even, blown out. It, it felt really like sudden and strange. And she just like she's literally wailing. And yes. it it's weird because I get that she's like letting out all of this after pretending to be okay with her husband's affairs and having this whole mixeroo that kind of damaged her and she's a wash-up actress, all of that. And but everything with the daughter coming it, back and, and Yeah, that. It, it's just really strange to me that it is all let out in this one minute and she's literally screeching at the top of her lungs. It, it, it she sounds like Chewbacca screaming. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't and it's it's, sound, it's so weird. It's framed so weirdly because it's like shot from above the bed and she's lying on her stomach, like shaking back and forth in this this like sheer pink night robe that just like like it because because her face is buried in the pillow, we're not getting any of the sort of physical acting from this performance. We're not seeing her cry. We're just hearing her and watching her convulse on this bed. Well, Nick Nolte like rests his head on her back and it's just all the overblown parts of a big crying scene without any of the nuance you can get from seeing her face. It's just like, here's Julie Christie's ass in this robe while she screams like a baby. And that's, that's how the movie ends. That's like the second to last shot before it, it cuts to the daughter standing behind a, a waving piece of fabric, and then the uh, the dulcet tones of Tom Waits singing West Side Story 
uh, over this last montage, they they close you out. It's a weird, weird jarring pairing. Like, I mean, I like Tom Waits and I like that song from West Side Story. It's not a, a necessarily a good pairing of of musical influence, and it feels very out of place in this supposedly very emotional montage where you're seeing these characters reflect on the things that have happened to them and uh how laura flynn boyle is pregnant with nick nolte's kid and she's not gonna tell her husband and johnny lee miller is reflecting on his own misdeeds and uh, his cosmic punishment is that he broke his leg and that and then julie christie's screaming and crying in bed and then that's the end of the movie yeah and it, it's just yeah, for as much as I have written down, very little of it is actually about Julie Christie's performance. Right. It's uh, not, because, not I mean, a great it, look. It doesn't feel like it's trying to get her a nomination. It's no, I, I, no, this movie was, I can't imagine they were making this and seriously expecting any type of awards thing. Yeah, no. And we'll talk about how it did end up that way, but like, yeah, this just seems like it was a, a sort of run-of-the-mill late 90s independent character piece that, like, the highest aspirations were maybe an Independent Spirit nomination. And it ended up getting that. It didn't get all that much in terms of uh, precursor stuff, but she did win the Indie Spirit. So that's really her. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll talk I about that. I realize that. Yeah, she won, like, a couple I know she won the New York Film Critics. And National Society. But But the thing is, everywhere she was nominated, I know she won besides the Oscar, right? I think so. And it's really just like those three and then a couple of other smaller critics things. But yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, It's her first nomination since McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like 25 years earlier, which is kind of interesting. Like, I don't know. Whenever you get a big gap, like, what would that be now? I mean, it's been it's been 25 years since this movie. It's been almost as long between Afterglow and now as it was between Afterglow and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. But that would be like a... I guess not quite the same, but it would be like if Joan Cusack... Wow, why did I say it like that? Like if jo- Joan Cusack got a nomination this year right. or something. Or Kim Basinger. Yeah, Kim Basinger is probably a more apt... Like, not that she has the same level of uh, persisting stardom that Julie Christie does, but like she is a previous winner that would be coming back after a, a pretty long gap. Mm. I don't know. I truly have almost nothing else actually written about Julie Christie's performance here. She does get uh, the the title drop. She does say the word afterglow in this movie in one of her and sort she of. She is the afterglow technically like of the four you could call her the afterglow because it's like yeah she's the one that's uh that's sort of basking in the she's reminiscing on her past and where it led her and her whole former fading like it when you think about it really like it makes complete sense that this is a nomination for julie christie here entirely on the fact that she's playing an aging actress respecting or reflecting on her career as an actress because like Time and again, the Academy has, has shown us that's what it likes in a performance. Yeah. 
I mean, even uh, the thing is, I think it would have been more interesting if she did go full Betty Davis in the star because at yes. least it was more entertaining. And I do think she has moments where she's convincing. And I mean, it, she looks gorgeous with those sunglasses and the cigarette. I mean, oh, absolutely. Looking. But beyond that, not much to take away. It doesn't feel well rounded. Um, it's not memorable as well. Yeah. yeah, it is somehow the least interesting of these four performances. Despite mm. being good and commendable work from her, I have the least to say about it. Mm -hmm. I just I just don't know what she could have done with the part. She could have gone big. Like I she could have gone that, but I don't know if that was what the director wanted. I don't know if the director knew what he wanted, even though yeah, this is yeah, like, like if it was a bigger sort of Betty Davis type thing, or I don't know, pick, take your pick of big performances of actresses playing actresses, especially like aging actresses. Like the scene where she sort of chews out uh, uh, Nick Nolte in the restaurant the first time, that's like all of her shouting is mostly done at kind of a hush. Like, She's keeping her voice down because they're at this public restaurant. And that's not what I want from a blow-up scene from this character shouting at her husband. I want her to be big and bombastic and, like, flip the table over right. or whatever. And we don't get that. Like, that's what you want from this type of character. And, yeah, she's she's making it more grounded and more realistic. But nobody else is trying for that. So why should she have to? Why can't she make this big and campy and fun? Like, this isn't a fun performance. No. And <laughs> you mentioned, like, that scene at the restaurant, and it's like, wait, I totally just forgot what I was going to say. Shit, 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 shit. Is it something about the, the seven veils, seven dwarves, or how she calls no, it? No, 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 no. It's about her Oscar clip. What, have you watched her Oscar clip? I haven't. What is it? It is the weirdest choice. It's the scene where she's in the car with um Johnny Lee Miller, and, like, those people stop her, and... And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm his mistress. That was her Oscar clip. That's bizarre. She's not doing anything like I don't I didn't even write anything down about that scene. I didn't take a note because I didn't think it was worth <laughs> noting. That's that's wild. That's I, I know that there's the, the Twitter account that does the Oscar clips. And like, I, I love that there's a curation for that. I want someone to go through all of the Oscar clips that there have been and just make a compilation of specifically the weirdest ones. Like, I want to see that in there. I want to see Rami Malek's clip, which was him oh, and sitting at a piano. Riva. Yeah. This is weird. Yeah. I can't remember what it is, but I know it's, it's literally it's... more of a showcase for him than it was for her. It's him like slapping her and telling her to drink water. And the only thing she does, she doesn't talk in that clip. The only thing she does in that clip is spit water in his face. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole clip it's a good, that's a good, it's a memorable moment from that. It movie, is, but it's like but... weird that that's what they're showing. Yeah. Was, was there a weird one this year? Am I remembering that right? Uh, for Penelope. Yes. Very weird. Very weird. It's, yeah. Yeah. I was not a fan of that. It ended on, it ended on the guy too, which. Yeah. Ended, I didn't like it. What was. I, we're going off on a tangent here. What was no, I like it. I love. No, I love. No, there was one. There, I I can't remember if this was the actual one or if I just sort of Mandela affected myself into this. Was Troy Kotzer's clip the part where he farts at dinner? No. 
Okay, I don't know why I thought that it was. <gasps> no, because that like that that would be a, such a weird choice if it was. But some part of me was like, I think it was. Okay, I'm I'm glad it wasn't because that, that would have been maybe it was that sad. It might have been. It wasn't a though, but it could have been. It could have been something somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but this is definitely amongst the strangest Oscar clips. For I sure. will have to seek that out. I will have to find that. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about Julie Christie? Um, or do we want to well, talk I mean, about... There's one other scene I think she's kind of bad in, and it is the one where she's like chasing the woman she knows in the park. Like I thought she was kind of bad there. Oh, she's... yeah, the scene where she's chasing it after who she thinks is her daughter, and is just going, Cassie, Cassie! Like, I have... I, do, I did write down that. Cassie, 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 Cassie. Like... That's just, I mean, I get that that's probably what a person would do in her very specific situation, but like, she doesn't throw in anything else in that scene. She's just saying Cassie over and over and over. It's, and at that point, we don't know anything about who Cassie is because all that we have been told about their relationship uh, and their uh, sort of, I don't know, all that we know at this point is that Laura Flynn Boyle has asked Nick Nolte if he has any kids. And he said no, because as we come to find out later on, he doesn't have any kids because he, you know, doesn't have a daughter because it's not his kid. Uh, And so we're just sort of left to wonder, who is this person that uh, Julie Christie thinks she sees? Like, I at first was like, oh, is there like a, a daughter that died that she's hallucinating and she's running after? Is that where this movie's going to go? And it isn't. But no. like... We don't have any context for that scene when it happens, so it just makes it all the more strange in the moment. It's a very, very weird choice in terms of showing us that scene then and then taking so long to explain what it meant. Definitely. I mean, I don't know. Just overall, I think we agree about her performance. It is kind of weird that she was nominated. Like Very if, weird. If it wasn't... It, because of who she is, if it wasn't her in the role, it, it it wouldn't have been like if it wasn't like a famous actress, then she wouldn't have gotten nominated. Yeah, and like I'll take it one step further. If it wasn't famous actress that at this point had been working for like three decades, mm. previous winner, previous nominee elsewhere, hadn't like been in the spotlight a bunch. This is only her fourth movie of the decade. Uh, she had been in here. I pulled it up. Uh, uh, in wait, no, I'm looking at the wrong list. I mean, okay. it's hard to be the it girl and stay yeah. as popular. I mean, it, no one has. Yes, um, but like, like, so in the '90s, she she makes Fools of Fortune in 1990, uh, and then 1996, she's in Dragonheart and Hamlet, and then this is her fourth movie in uh, seven years. Mm. or no the fourth movie in 11 years because she didn't make anything between 1986 and 1990 so like yeah she had been a like the it girl for a good while there and then she kind of falls off for a while and this is a bit of a comeback for her or at least a bit of a comeback era for her uh and like i think it also helps that like she had been such an it girl and at this point she's still like has it like she's still gorgeous in this movie she still has this just sort of natural charisma that like you do want 
you want there to be more to this character because you want to see more from her because she's just such a natural presence that it feels like it's kind of wasting her for the first hour of the movie. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I think that that definitely helps her get this nomination is the fact that it is Julie Christie proving she's still kind of a, a just like that she can still light up the screen in that mm-hmm. same way. Definitely. Um, I mean, they must have held Academy screenings of it because otherwise I don't I know guess. how saw the movie. I because guess. I, I don't even know who was voting for this. I don't know who liked it. It didn't seem critically praised. I mean, you say that, but then like she did win, like we said, a few different critics prizes. Right, and she won a few major critics awards. Somehow. Very, Somehow. Very, very strange. Um, but then again, the New York Film Critics Circle is a little weird sometimes. Yeah, we'll talk it about award stuff. Hawaii we'll... and the Deep Blue Sea. So like, we don't always know what, what they're doing. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll get into some of those in more detail yeah, in a bit. Yeah. But I think uh, let's let's move on and talk about the rest of the movie first. Hmm. What did you mean when you said things didn't work out? What do you mean? What didn't work out? The children. That's a touchy subject. Okay, then answer another question. <laughs> what are you doing? Setting minefields here? How does your wife handle it so well? It has to be difficult. It has to hurt her. We haven't mentioned this at all, but Nick Nolte's character's name is Lucky Man. That, like, his first name is Lucky, his last name is Man. He is playing the Malcolm McDowell movie, Oh Lucky Man. He is... What's he doing here? What's he, going on with Nick Nolte? He's the most normal like he's the, the most, most interesting by far i think of I, 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 I just, characters he's doing the least eccentric things yeah yeah i think he's good though i think it's a good okay. it's, it's, it's not yeah. much to judge yeah but like I, I don't know i think he he has all the emotional moments of this movie that work are all because of nick nolte and his wild lion's mane of a haircut that he has in this that's it's hard to get around that it's hard to really look past this this mop that he's got on his head it's uh it's a look for him but uh yeah i think he's good i i really like the moment where he does finally reconnect with the daughter on the bridge he chases after her and like climbs up onto the bridge and like it's the one moment of restraint in the movie in terms of like he doesn't have this big, impassioned, very writerly monologue talking about how, like, oh, I know I said you weren't my daughter, but, I you know, I've spent the last eight years regretting all of that, and you are my daughter and all that. And I thought that's where the movie was going to go based on how everything else had gone at that point. But he just sort of, like, he says a few things, but then just, like, looks at her. And then it's just the two of them looking back and forth. And it works because it's not like proving the movie isn't trying to prove itself to you for once it's just letting this very genuine emotional moment work and i think a lot of that helps because i don't there's a few actors like like this that are sort of like the uh, sort of tough guys surly every man 
that uh, make emotional moments like this where you see them break down and be vulnerable and cry work all the better because of that. Like, I think Ed Harris does that really well, is that he plays the, like, the absolute perfect uh, surly everyman who isn't afraid to be emotional on on film, and every time it happens, it's the most heartbreaking thing. Chris Cooper, as well, does that really well. And I think Nick Nolte uh, is, is in that sort of echelon of... Uh, I, I don't know, emotional m- middle-aged men, mm. I guess. You have a lot more to say about this performance than me, because to me, his character just kind of did the least. I'm yeah. surprised you, you, I mean, you, you're you you're more invested than I was in that. I, I mean, I think he's fine. I think, I think he... Yeah, he's, he's more part- fine than good, I, I think, ultimately. I just yeah. have thoughts on it. I have more thoughts on it than Julie Christie, at least. I think he. I, I, I'd say about. I I don't, but it's not that different. I just. I mean, his name is hilarious. Yeah. I, I don't think that he and Lara Flynn Boyle. I I, I just don't, those scenes between them aren't sexy. No, 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 no. The scene at where, all, where I think they're trying to be, but they're not. I don't know if again. I don't know what the movie's trying to do. I don't know if the smash cut what from is him the tone like of this movie. I don't know. The movie doesn't know. There, There is no tone. It's so inconsistent tonally. It's so, so very proud of itself in, in thinking that it's delivering these great witticisms about life and middle-class America, and it just isn't. Uh, and But I think he's, he's, he does a good job of balancing the, the sort of disparate tones and making this character work in situations where mostly it, uh, the rest of the movie around him isn't working and again that's not to say he's doing a perfect job I think there's just as many moments where I'm scratching my head at what Nick Nolte's doing as I am like impressed with what he's doing but could have been worse could have been Johnny Lee Miller definitely could have been worse ultimately I, I just think you have more to say about it than me yeah yeah Okay. I think I don't know. Like I mean, I think Nick Nolte is a good actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've never been like, whoa! Like Nick Nolte is one of my favorites ever. Yeah, I, mean, I think he is really good in The Prince of Tides. I definitely understand why he came close to winning for that. That's a great performance. Yeah. Same with Affliction. I think he's yeah, actually he's, really he's fantastic he's, in Affliction. Yeah, he is. Um, but I just I don't know. I mean, it's not the type of performance that I'm really drawn to. Yeah. Like, even if he was nominated, it'd just be like, okay. Yeah, I think I think that's ultimately where I come down to. I just have more to say within that same realm of, like, he's fine. It, it works. It's maybe boosted by the fact that the rest of the movie around him is so significantly worse. But, like, I don't know. I think he's fine. Um, okay. Now. Yes. Do you think the casting director for this movie was told, we have this younger couple, go get me one of the hot young guys from Train Spotting and one of the hot young girls from Twin Peaks and picked the worst one from both. Because, like, imagine this movie if the younger couple was Ewan McGregor and Cheryl Lee. Like, automatically, that's so much more engaging because you have actual actors that can act in these roles. 
and Johnny Lee Miller. Know if the movie would be good. No, it wouldn't, but it would be way more interesting. Like Johnny... sure, it would be more interesting and more believable. Yes, because you have consummate actors and not Johnny Lee Miller trying to suppress his accent that doesn't always come. Like there's a point where he says, like I wrote the the, the line is uh, something something something. It's a tough world out there. It's so overcruited. And like he, he's supposed to be playing this very straight laced American businessman, and he's working so hard to keep this accent at bay that like he's just very stilted. He's very dry and very just like I don't know what he thinks he's doing here, but it's not working on any level. Yeah. He's very bad. He's very it's bad. a very bad performance. No, like actively bad, like Razzie. Worthy. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, I hate that organization, but I genuinely would have understand understood if he got nominated. I mean, it's just from the he's also just playing a character that is not only unlikable but so uninteresting in every capacity. Oh, absolutely. Like, why the fuck would I want to watch him for as long as we do? Yeah, he has so much screen. I I think he might even have like just as much as Julie Christie. Like, I probably so probably. Yeah, I mean, I think all four of them have about the same screen time. I think Lara Flynn Boyle might have the least, but he I has way. I don't too- even know about that, but yeah, yeah, he has way too much screen time. His character, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't realize that he was trying so hard to cover up an accent. I just thought his delivery was bad, but maybe it's both. It it's it's a bit of both. Um, and like I think he's actually very good in Train Spotting. I think he he's one of the characters that I remember more out of that. Uh, and also, like, he's, he's, he's good-looking in, in Trainspotting. He's, he's a handsome and boy. In that. He's very boring-looking. He's so bland. He looks just like... I look... I, I can't... It looks like a stock image. I can't remember what he looks like, and I just watched the movie. And, like, I also have that same issue with Lara Flynn Boyle, where every time I try to remember what she looks like, I just picture Jennifer Connelly, which, like, how mad do you think she is that Jennifer Connelly's career is as as uh storied as it is because like all the, i imagine all those roles she auditioned for and all of them she lost to uh to jennifer connelly because she's who, bad like, yeah no i think she's she wins me over at the end of this when i when i get more uh clued into what this character is like at the, at the point where i realized oh this woman is just like so she has such high aspirations and such she thinks so highly of herself and her her tastes and she's so so wrong about that like like there's a like she keeps speaking french and like punctuating all her sentences with we oui and bonjour and mon ami and all this stuff and like the fact that she keeps doing this to specifically the uh the like the service staff at this weird blocky futuristic apartment complex and they all have these hispanic names so she'll like she'll be like oh oh merci francisco and all this stuff and it's like oh you you are just a you're you're a fucking moron who thinks that she's this high class woman and she's just not and i think that's a a very funny character take and i want to give her the benefit of the doubt that she's playing it that way on purpose uh and through that lens i ended up liking her performance a lot more because i i could see her as this just like I don't know, not maliciously just, like, flighty or uh, uh, clueless, but she's just kind of, like, I don't know, a well-intentioned moron who thinks she has better taste than she does. 
And it's maybe the performance I come away with the most thoughts about. Because, I don't know, like I said, that scene where she has a literal spotlight on her while she's, like, bitching and moaning on the stairs about how she's ovulating this week and desperately wants to have a baby and Johnny Lee Miller just won't have sex with her because he's realized he's into older women because of his secretary. Like, that scene is so bad from her that I have, like, I wrote down, like, oh, she just can't act. And she's always, like, she's one of the worst performances on Twin Peaks, I think. That no, character... yeah, Ronaldo said that he saw her in Afterglow and after Twin Peaks and genuinely thought she's one of the worst actresses of all time because if you're bad in this movie, blame it on the director's script, whatever. But if you're not good in Twin Peaks, that's the actor's fault. That is not the director, writer, cast member. I mean, it's I, I think a lot of what is wrong with her in Twin Peaks is that the Donna and James characters are just so poorly written and they the the writers like like Lynch and, and Frost never really knew what to do with them after the first couple episodes. And so I want to give the benefit of the doubt there to just like those characters are caught in the fact in, in like the worst parts of what Twin Peaks has to do with its characters is that those those characters get hung out to dry, but like she's also not good in that show, really. It's she's been good in things she's fun in wayne's world i i don't i don't think i've seen her in all that much overall but like i don't know i i maybe come away liking this performance more than i expected to because she was able to win me over interesting Mm -hmm. i mean if, if if you wrote down she's actually terrible she can't act i would rather watch someone who can't act in a movie than a boring performance who who really can but it's just not doing anything because watching someone act so terribly can be like interesting and like kind of funny and fun and that's like something to take away from like you remember how appallingly awful something is i'd rather watch a film that was appallingly awful than a movie that was so boring my all my least favorite movies are just movies that are really boring yeah i, I mean i i would any day rather watch I don't know. I, I don't know an example, but I, I'd rather watch something like, like the Emoji Movie, than than oh, a wow. boring '30s drama. Like it's just, it's just what it is. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to watch an absolute train wreck of acting on screen, you know. And yeah. I think that's why you're kind of drawn to it because the fact that you wrote down she's so horrible. And well, I don't, of- I don't. It's not entirely that. I think, I think by the end, I. I I ended up like being on the same wavelength that maybe this performer is, maybe it is just a bad performance, but I I think whatever lens I ended up watching it through, I think I ended up uh, liking just like actually liking the performance more than I expected to. I don't think it's a bad performance. I think there are moments that are bad, much as everyone in this movie has moments that are bad, but I think she has enough good uh, performance aspects. There, there, there's enough good for, in in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think I do not. Agree. I don't. Know. Oh no, absolutely. You are entire entirely entirely. Yeah, yeah. I course. just I I come away with more uh uh praise for that performance than I did at the beginning of the movie. Mm. If that makes any sense. Is she at this point? I I don't remember the exact timeline. Is she dating Jack Nicholson yet? 
when did that happen? She dated Jack Nicholson after. Okay. That whole timeline, the whole timeline of the Laura Flynn Boyle relationship sort of stuff is very funny to me. Like that, her, her relationship with Kyle MacLachlan changed like a whole plot line for Twin Peaks where she was upset that uh, he was having all this romantic screen time with Cheryl and Fenn. And so that's why Billy Zane and Heather Graham get brought on to Twin Peaks in season two. And then they break up and then she dates David Spade for a while. And then apparently, uh, according to some story that I think David Spade told, uh, the two of them were at some party, uh, Laura Flynn Boyle and David Spade. Jack Nicholson comes up to the both of them and asks her out in front of David Spade. And then apparently they started dating and David Spade didn't know about it until he saw headlines like a year later that the two of them got in a car crash together. And it's it's just very funny. The, those two anecdotes are about the same person uh, and their weird sort of Hollywood relationships. I just think that's very fun and weird. And like all respect to her. All None of that is like anything against her. I don't hold anything against her specifically. Uh, I just, I think that's kind of funny. You're giving me a whole history lesson i had no idea that jack nicholson dated her yeah yeah and i I, yeah i guess uh according to wikipedia that was like two years after this so they uh they dated from like 1999 to 2000 or so i don't know it's interesting it's one of the weirder hollywood couples that i always remember when it comes to weird hollywood couples you didn't know dated Mm -hmm. uh yeah definitely but i didn't even realize she was an emmy nominee like oh is she for what She's an Emmy nominee for this show called The Practice. Oh, I didn't know she was on that. Yeah. Well, good for her. Good, good for her. Yeah. Good for Laura Flynn Boyle. Uh, what yeah. else? Also, like, do take that with a grain of salt, because I think those categories have, like, eight or nine nominees, and the Oscars are, like, five. So it's, I mean, it's... probably. But, like, I don't think she was in, in any sort of contention for an Oscar. Oh, really? I mean, this. she definitely should have won for this. I mean, amazing Julianne Moore, who? Who? Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> okay. Um. Oh, I also did uh, take note of, while we're still talking about the movie, the score, the like very contemplative jazzy score that right. runs throughout this movie and is a bit overbearing, I guess. Oh, uh, I, one more thing. Like you reminded me. So we talked about the slow zooms, which are very unfitting and weird. Oh, but- yeah. Slow-mo and fast-mo. Yeah, what's up with that? What's up with the editing? What the fuck? It was so weird. (laughs) And it it happens so rarely that, like, when it does happen, like, it doesn't happen often enough to be a stylistic choice. like, five seconds. Yeah. Like, there's a scene where Laura Flynn Boyle and Johnny Lee Miller are, like, macking on each other and rolling over the coffee table and the couch or whatever, and they keep, like, kicking the remote and it's changing the music. And, like, that's just, like, a regularly paced scene that's going on. And then there's just, like, a section in the middle that for five seconds it's sped up really fast. And then it goes back to the regular pace. And it adds nothing to the... Like, what is the... It's... I don't get it. Stylistically. Yeah. I don't know what it was... It's a bad... It's a poorly edited movie. Very poorly edited movie. It's poorly Um, edited, strangely paced. I just... 
I don't know what the message of the movie is. I don't know what the theme of the movie is. I don't know what it's trying to say socially. It it just I don't think it has anything to say. Yeah. No, I, don't I truly don't. Because it. because at the end of the day, the entire cycle gets repeated. Where right. now Laura Flynn Boyle is pregnant with Nick Nolte's kid and she's not gonna tell her husband. And it just the cycle continues and these characters supposedly have learned some type of lesson but there doesn't really seem to be a lesson at all. Like, I don't know which characters this movie is trying to punish. I don't know if the movie is trying to punish anyone. I don't know if it's trying to reward anyone. I don't know what lessons these characters are supposed to have learned because there's the the confrontation when it comes to pass that these two couples have basically been swapping behind each other's backs without realizing it. The only amount of confrontation that you get, I mean, you, there's a lot of it. Like, there, it, it gets physical between Johnny Lee Miller and Nick Nolte, whose characters, I well, I, I remember Nick Nolte's lucky man. I refuse to remember the, any of the other character names because why? How could, how could I be bothered? Yeah. Um, but, like, they they run into each other at this restaurant and start putting each other in headlocks and, like, punching each other. And it's very poorly choreographed. It's just... It it keeps it goes on for so long, and the they end up going back to the apartment and fighting some more. Everyone does, mm-hmm. and there's no confrontation. There's no uh, conclusion to any of these plot points. To the point that like Lucky calls Phyllis. I remember he calls Phyllis by her name, and Laura Flynn Boyle is like, "Hey, he called her by her name. Do you think he knows her?" And that is the extent to which any there's any sort of acknowledgement of the fact that they've been swapping and like what that says about the characters and their relationships or whatever like it it takes this interesting premise of what if two couples accidentally had affairs with each other's partners uh without realizing it and doesn't have any actual payoff to that to that premise like i don't think any one of the four characters except nick nolte actually realizes the ex- th- like the the comedy of that the extent to which oh i've been fucking your wife and you've been fucking my wife because well i guess also uh uh julie christie does realize it but n- neither of the younger two realizes the full connection between the four of them And that could have been an interesting scene to have that play out where they all realize it and come to some sort of acknowledgement of each other. And I mean, their characters were really stupid, though. Just like as people, they were very dumb. Yeah, but like not dumb enough to to, to not see something in that. Like, I don't know. I, I just the movie could have had some sort of interesting payoff that it just refuse like it the movie outright refuses to pay off its own premise and to make it to take it to the natural conclusion that you would want from a movie like that like when you are told the premise of two couples have affairs with each other's partners without realizing it the first thing you're going to think of is oh that is a, a there's going to be a payoff to that where everything gets realized everything gets acknowledged and the movie just does its best to avoid ever having to do that and ever having to 
you know, acknowledge the fact that these characters are interconnected to the full extent that they are. It's it's a really bothersome choice that they they didn't try even. And it's not like they didn't say it purposefully to try and get an ambiguity out of it. It's no. just abrupt and lazy. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be mysterious in any way. It's not trying to say, oh, look at these characters. As an audience, you should try and assume what's going to happen or guess what they're going to do based on the actions that you know about them and their personality traits. But the film doesn't give you enough of that, and it ultimately comes across as lazy by just ending it right there because it doesn't really connect to itself. It just, like, a bunch of random thing ha- things happen that kind of build off of each other, and then it ends. It's yeah. not really about anything beyond the plot, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Like, these characters don't stand for anything. No. We, like, they all have one very base want, kind of. Like, Julie Christie wants something she uh, she has the she has the least specific wand even but like she wants something probably uh nick nolte wants his his relationship back with his daughter and with his wife or something laura flynn boyle wants a baby johnny lee miller wants to fuck an older woman and see if that'll fix his his depressed outlook on life and spoiler alert it doesn't um but beyond that, what do we really know about any of these people besides the very superficial aspects of what they actually do? Like, what? who are these people? Why do we care? Why should we care? The movie doesn't make us want to care about these people. It just assumes that because they're characters in a movie that we're watching, we'll just inherently be interested in them. And I'm just the not. The person who wrote this take a screenwriting class, you I... need... You need a want and an obstacle. And the only obstacle is that they're all in relationships with each other. There's nothing beyond that. So the conflict is so just not not unnecessary, but it just doesn't feel developed in any way or realized in any way that this person needs to take a screenwriting 101 class. Which and is wild. Because obviously he... not everyone needs to write their script in a conventional 3X structure way. Obviously people can be experimental. But it's just like, when you have a movie like this, I don't know if that's the type of decision you want to make, and it doesn't feel like it's coming across the way. This person probably didn't take a screen. Who wrote this movie? Alan Rudolph, also the director. It's wild, because he had had been writing and directing movies for 25 years at this point. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even, it feels like a first time ever. Yeah, like he had directed, uh, most of this is stuff I've never heard of, but he's a director on Premonition, Nightmare Circus, Writer and director on Welcome to L.A., Remember by Name, directed Roadie, Endangered Species, Return Engagement, writer and director on Choose Me, director on Songwriter, writer and director on Trouble in Mind, director on Made in Heaven, The Moderns, Love at Large, Mortal Thoughts, Equinox, it takes a full 22 years before we get a movie I've even heard of with Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. I haven't even heard of any of these. And then Afterglow, Breakfast of Champions, a movie called Trixie, a movie called Investigating Sex. The Secret Lives of Dentists, and his most recent movie, a 2017 movie called Ray Meets Helen, starring Keith Carradine and Sandra Locke. And Keith David, Samantha Mathis, Jennifer Tilly, there's like people in this movie, but like, 
I've never heard of this. Yeah, no, not a prominent figure. It the to the point that the Wikipedia plot summary is one sentence. Oof. Yeah. Oh boy, Alan Rudolph. Uh, not exactly an auteur in the way that we 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 expect. Apparently, he was he was an assistant director for Robert Altman on The Long Goodbye and Nashville. Uh, and like it makes sense. Like Altman is a producer on this movie, uh, and and also Julie Christie. Yes, Altman, the connection. Yeah, that's probably how you get Julie Christie cast in this movie. But like, he didn't learn a lot from working with Altman. He yeah. learned to have there be characters that interconnect, and didn't learn anything else from him. That's all I have to say about the movie. I yeah. mean. We've talked a lot about this movie that doesn't deserve to be talked about no, for doesn't. this much. And like, honestly, if you're still up at this point and you haven't watched it, like, don't watch this movie. No, no, I you're going to get nothing out of it. You will get nothing out of it. It's not even a, like, seeing is believing thing. Like, you will, you will gain nothing from watching this movie. You're better off. You're better off without it. Hmm. It seems like that's really the extent of what we have to say. So let's move on and talk about some Oscar stuff. Mm, a lot so, with this one. The nominees are Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove, Julie Christie in Afterglow, Judy Dench in Mrs. Brown. Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets. Kate Winslet in Titanic. So this is, I think, I didn't check, but I just have a strong feeling that this is the first performance I've talked about in the post-SAG era so from 1994 onwards that gets a nomination without being nominated at the Globes, SAG, or BAFTA. And I could be wrong about that. There might be someone else. I guess Kathy Bates. I mean, there are a lot more. There are a lot of lone acting nominees from all time periods. So maybe not that many. Did Kathy Bates get a Globe nomination? She might've been, or for for Richard Jewell. Okay. I mean, most nominees nowadays that don't get a precursor nomination are in Best Picture nominees. I mean, yeah. it's like a coattail thing, or it's like a critic's thing, and the movie gets one other nomination and and has been on, on the board for a long time. Like I mean, like a Jonah Hill and the Wolf of Wall Street or something like yeah. that, where like they, they were in a movie that, that was big, and they just d- didn't get any precursor love and surprise on Oscar morning. But it's very yeah. hard now to get nominated as a lone acting nominee as a surprise. I mean, that's very hard. And the thing is, a lot of lone acting nominees can get all four of the major precursors and easily miss. That happens all the time because the film isn't seen enough. It's not strong enough to get its get its nomination in the acting category. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Julie Christie in Afterglow did not get SAG, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, none of it. Yeah, the BAFTA miss is the one that's like the most telling. Like, if Julie Christie, British legend, is not getting a BAFTA nomination. But was this movie even available in England? I truly don't know. I mean, I it opened in the U.S. on December 26th at, uh, in limited. It didn't even open 
in the U.S. like wide until March. So truly, and it probably opened in the U- in the U.K. later than that. Yeah, probably. So That's I don't even think the BAFTA like could have nominated her. Yeah, the BAFTA uh, window of eligibility has always been strange. Yeah, and so yeah, I would not be surprised if this was just not. But like, it didn't even get nominated the next year after either. If that was but the here's, case, but here's the thing. I I, I think. It, it got nominated at the Evening Standard British Film Awards. It won Best Actress there in 99. So I think that's, oh, yeah. like, that's why the movie definitely came out later in England. That's that's fair. So the ones that it does get, though, is not to say that it got it missed anything. Like we, we, like we said, she wins the Indie Spirit for Best Actress. Uh, also nominated are Alison Folland for All Over Me, Stacey Edwards for In the Company of Men, Lisa Harrow for Sunday, and Robin Wright for Loved. I have heard of three of those movies and one of those actresses by name or no i've heard of one of those movies and one of those actresses sorry uh and it's not even from the same one like i've heard of the movie in the company of men and i know who robin wright is but that is like the fact that julie christie is a name i think really boosts her in that particular race because the other three aren't necessarily stars uh and when you're picking between Julie Christie and Robin Wright, there's just more of a career to honor with Julie Christie mm. at this point. Um, like we said, she wins the National Society of Film Critics Best Actress. Uh, the runner-ups are Helena Bonham Carter and Judy Dench, also Oscar-nominated. Uh, New York Film Critics Julie Christie wins. Runner-ups are Helena Bonham Carter and Judy Dench again. Uh, and then she is nominated at the Satellite Awards. Uh, she does not win. Mm-hmm. Uh, that lineup is the exact same five as the Oscars, but without Helen Hunt, weirdly. Uh, wasn't she in comedy? Oh, was it drama yeah, there, actress? It was okay. Comedy, so she was probably. Okay. Comedy. Probably. And then the, the, the bonus one there is Joan Allen in The Ice Storm. Oh, wait. I like that. Okay. Yeah, that's a cool pick. Anytime Joan Allen gets a nomination for anything, I'm here for it. Uh, and then like it's some other smaller things festival stuff like a Fort Lauderdale film festival the movie wins best ensemble which no it's not no it's not also we don't know how many movies premiered there that's true that's very true it could have been like there were three movies there and the other two were one man shows so (gasps) by default but yeah that is really the extent of the awards presence that this movie had it was a genuine like it's a genuine shock that christie got the nomination on the the morning Mm -hmm. of like even with those two critics prizes and the indie spirit now or indie spirit win like this is still not something that people were taking seriously at at the time would i have like would i have even had her at like seventh or eighth in my like i don't even know because yeah nobody watched the movie yeah. Yeah. Again, the movie opens wide three days before the Oscars. Like, like after voting has happened, after people have voted, the movie opens wide. That's that's the weirdest part, I think. Uh, that, like, true. I mean, it had a limited run. I don't know how limited. I don't know where exactly that limited run played. But, like, yeah, this is a a small movie even compared to small movies of the time like Mm. and it's not that it didn't have a distributor like this is a sony pictures classics movie this is there you go that's why she got nominated because 
they know how to campaign last minute. Let me tell you, they, have, yeah. I mean, they get people in at the last minute and, but like, even at this time they did have like, maybe they, not, but me, I, I don't know. That's, they had I, successes. I, I, they had a lot of indie spirit successes, but like most of their successes up to this point, aside from Howard's End, were and like Howard's End was their first movie, so take that as you will. But like, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the movie Indochine. Is that how it's pronounced? Indochine. I don't know. Indochine. I don't know. That gets Sony Pictures had Safe, the Julianne Moore film. The reason yeah. why I don't think she got in for that is because that was just such a competitive year. But this year was not competitive. For, yeah. for lead actors, it really wasn't. Yeah. Like, all of their successes to this point, for the most part, are in foreign language film, uh, documentary. Like, you have Indochine wins Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, Bill Epoch wins. Uh, uh Burnt by the Sun wins. Farinelli is nominated. Uh, and Frank Remembered wins the best documentary feature. I'm just scrolling down the list, and I don't know these offhand. These are listed specifically on the Wikipedia page. I am not just pulling these from memory. Uh, but yeah, like the their most successful movies to this point, again, aside from Howard's End, are like. Lone Star gets a screenplay nomination in a major category. Mm -hmm. Catherine Deneuve gets nominated for Indochine. And then this is like the fourth movie of theirs that gets a an above-the-line nomination in, within, I guess it's only like a five or six year span, so that's also, not like, that I don't much. Know if these, but... The other movies that they had, they were trying to campaign, but when they have something that they think can get nominated, I really think... Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, my current thing is that, like, I really think Bill Nye in Living is going to be that for them. Oh, I forgot that was Sony Pictures Classics. Yeah, no, he's I getting nominated. Happen, like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other movies they have this year that uh, Sony Pictures has in 97, it's like Waiting for Guffman, uh, mm. uh, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, In the Company of Men, The Myth of Fingerprints. Uh, there's others in here that are, like, stuff that I've never even heard of. Um, they are. They do get a nomination this year for foreign language film for a Chef in Love, a Georgian film apparently. Uh, yeah, they did not have a lot of big movies this year, so I guess it makes sense that they would put a campaign behind Afterglow because out of the like dozen or so movies they have this year, Julie Christie is the biggest star, the biggest like legend that they can that they can put a campaign behind so i guess that i guess that's probably a, a part of it but i don't know weird weird nomination very very strange that this happened it's not a good movie it's not a, a showy enough performance that it would really draw my attention as a voter it's all just on the name it's all just on the fact that this is julie christie in a, a leading role again mm. because like even the other ones she has in the 90s i don't know much about them but i've seen hamlet she's like it's a big role but it's not a role that you're really going to come away from that movie with the most i don't know it's been a while since i've seen it i don't really remember what she does in that but it's like a major character and mm. then the other two i've already forgotten what they were but i can't imagine she has that instrumental of a part in them so mm -hmm. this is like hey julie christie's back with with a 
relatively major performance uh character role whatever let's uh let's give it to her why not i don't know i truly don't know i mean and also like it's clear that the academy liked her yeah, yeah. she did get nominated for like heaven can wait but why would she yeah and also like i mean it's it also like she almost won a decade later i mean people really like julie christie yeah yeah absolutely what else? I mean, this is a really interesting race to me it, for for several reasons because it is pretty bad, kind of. It's it's not a great lineup for best actor. I still have a couple I have not seen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I like one of the three that I've seen. I think Judy Dench. Have you seen? So I've seen obviously not this. And then Mrs. Brown and As Good As It Gets. Okay. This is the point where I reveal that I still haven't seen Titanic. Yeah. So here's the thing with that. I mean, <laughs> when I'll just I'll just briefly talk about both of those two performances because yeah. I don't think they were close to winning. No, so- Judy Dench was absolutely second place. Like yeah. without a doubt, kind yeah. of. I mean, kind of the obvious runner. But but Kate Winslet and Titanic is just like exactly what you think it is. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, less. I've but, I've seen enough clips. I I, yeah, I know a nice performance. Yeah. I get why she's here. The movie won so many Oscars, and she's good. But it's not like she should win. Yeah. Um, and then Helena, I I think the Wings of the Doves like not good. It's so fucking boring, and like I I hate that kind of costume drama. It wants to be a James Ivory movie. It wants to be. Oh, so- is it not? No. Who who did that? Is that someone I've never heard of? It huh. is it is a such a boring movie. That movie even got into adapted screenplay. Like I don't know what happened. Why were people all over this movie? And she actually, I think, got all of the precursors and like all the critics' nominations. So she yeah. racked up so many things. Her performance is so one note. The character that she's playing is this very repressed woman. So the tone is the same for the entire movie. It's so not a dynamic performance in any way. I I, I think I'd probably rank her last. Not just Oh wow. Not, yeah, not because she's bad, but because it's the least memorable. She she isn't doing anything that I care about at all. And it's not like Julie Christie where there's some interesting things behind that nomination. Helena Bonham Carter is just so like it's just everything about that movie is so boring. Um, and then Kate Winslet is good, but I think like the other three are more interesting to talk about. I'd say, yeah, uh, we can we can talk about Judy Dench and Mrs. Brown because I think she's excellent in that. Yes, movie. I, I think that movie like it's kind of Hallmark TV movie. Like if that movie was nominated at the Emmys, she would have so won Best Actress in a Miniseries movie. Like a hundred percent would have won. Yeah. Yeah, I but, think she's very good in that. I, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic like, performance. She sh- I think we both agree that she should have won here. Of the three I've seen, by far. Yeah, like, by I mean, far. like, by far. She's the only one who I think deserved a nomination. She is excellent. I mean, it's it's what you think of when you think of, like, classic Judy Dench. Yes. Like, Judy Dench, like, this is what she was born to play. She it gets, is- like, the two to- like, the two extreme tones you want from Judy Dench, which is loving and caring and like vulnerable older woman and also shouting and very stern and tense and like like queen yes a literal queen literal queen yeah literally she's so good 
She's so good in that. Also, where the fuck was Billy Connolly's nomination? Wait, who? Billy Connolly. The the male lead. Oh. He's um, so good in that movie. I And like they campaigned him in supporting, which is bullshit because he has like Well, they do now. Yes. He has significantly more screen time than Judy Dench does. <laughs> See, it's, and that was my issue with the film. I wanted I wanted less of him and more of her. I I think it works because I, I think I, I I like the way the movie approaches that particular story is that I think it's not trying to tell her story. It's telling his story right. from but she's this specific perspective. Part of story, so. Yes. I don't but know. I think, that, I think they're both very good. I mean, she did win like the Golden Globe for drama and she won, obviously she won the BAFTA. Yeah. And she won like a couple of critics. She won the Satellite. She got a lot of critics' nominations. I mean, the only reason why she didn't win is because As Good As It Gets was bigger. Well, that's not the only reason. Well, the other the, reason. It's the bigger reason. Yes, the other reason, if you can call it a reason, quote unquote, is that Helen Hunt is American. Yep. And the other four Only were British. American in this lineup. Yeah. How? I mean, that happens a bunch in the 90s. Like uh, uh, Marissa Tomei being the only American in that lineup where you have three Brits and an Australian. This lineup, I think they're all British, right? Mm-hmm. Julie Christie, Judy Dench. Uh, Kate Winslet. Iconic British women, too. Like, the Wait. only one here who hasn't won an Oscar is Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, no. It's uh, four Brits and Helen Hunt. And that gives Helen Hunt a leg up in a weird way because that's just how it happens sometimes. Maybe maybe more for that time period. Though. Yes, in the 90s specifically. It, it'll, it'll crop up. Also, I, I mean, I just, I don't think as good as it gets is good. No, no, I watched it for the first time. And right? It's so didn't... long. Yeah. I think she's fine, but she doesn't have much to do. She, she's, kind... here's the thing. Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt give very different performances. Because yes. Helen has moments where she's genuinely good. Her Oscar clip, that's a great moment in the movie. I thought she was, she delivered that line in a really funny way. And she has times where I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, she it. has some good moments. times where I think it's a little overdone. Yeah, and sometimes where it's a little underdone. A little like, bit. But Jack Nicholson, I think, is... I mean, I, I really hate that... I, I really don't like this performance. I, I think yeah. he's such a nebbish. I think he's playing one of the most unlikable characters. He's so racist and homophobic and sexist the entire time. And the only reason what, that the film tries to get you to like this character is that he likes a dog. That's the save the cat moment of the movie. Like, what the... F- I still think he's a terrible person. He's so mean to Helen Hunt's character the whole time. He's so mean to Greg Kinnear's character the entire time. There's no reason why you should like this man. Yet yeah, he's the, the protagonist of the movie. The movie doesn't put in the work to make... Like, the redemption that he gets at the end is completely unearned. He He doesn't seem to have any real significant change aside from just the movie deciding that he's changed mm. and it doesn't work. And I will it's say that lazy choice for a win too. I mean, this is so name checking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no thought. And that like, I love Jack Nicholson. I love when Jack Nicholson just plays Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Like even at this point in his career, like something's got to give. I think he's really fun in yeah, that movie. That. I think that's a significantly better performance than the one he gives in as good as it gets, uh, which is, kind of kind of strange i don't know 
I I don't know. I mean, it's, I love Jack. I don't think this is a very good performance from him. No. Um, I will say though, I was surprised at how much I liked Greg Kinnear in that movie. Same. He's by far the best part of the movie. He is. He really is. And like, I'm in general uh, a a very pro Greg Kinnear person. I think Catch Me on a Good Day, and he's my favorite performance in Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, and I love that movie, but I think everything he's doing in that movie is so understated and so perfect and really ties that movie together in a way that if you don't have him the well, movie, that's a movie that if you less. don't have any one of them you know i mean that's 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 yes, like my true truly yeah but anyone in that movie you take out and it just isn't the same. i mean it's such a perfect ensemble that's yes well like a really false ensemble but yeah. i see what you're saying i mean he's the only thing about this movie that i think deserved an oscar nomination i would agree with that honestly like that would be that's the kind of movie that I think would be a deserving lone acting nomination. Like, give give it to Greg Kinnear. No one else really needs to be nominated from that. And it got an editing nomination too. Somehow, it is way too long. It needed to be edited down. Yeah, there's a lot of unnecessary stuff in that movie that is just poorly paced and poorly done, and just intercuts too much, but also not enough. Like. It spends too long on the characters when it stays with them, and then just as quickly as it as it introduces them, it cuts back to someone else without really any sort of sense of flow. I don't know. I I had a lot of issues with as good as it gets, but uh, Greg Kinnear innocent. Yep. And neither is the scene with um, Shirley Knight and Helen Hunt. Oh That's yeah, it. yeah. Shirley Knight's fine in that. I'm surprised she didn't get more buzz for this. It's just too small of a role, I think, yeah. honestly. Like, she just... She doesn't have a showcase scene. She's just there every so often to interact with Helen Hunt. Uh, and also, like, any sort of sense of a, here's this uh, actress from yesteryear coming back with a, a big role, that all gets eaten up in the supporting actress raised by Gloria Stewart. So... You really don't have any room for that type of a, a narrative. Well, also, I mean, uh, uh, going back to Helen Hunt, a, a thing that we realize is nobody knows her now. Nobody talks about her anymore at all. Nobody's yeah. talked about her for so long. We don't realize she won four Emmys back to back. Oh, yeah. Lead actress in a comedy series as she had this movie come out. I mean, it's so interesting how she was so popular and then immediately. I mean, immediately just off of everyone's radar. It's so, so weird. Yeah, because, like, this is the Helen Hunt era where Mad About You is such a big thing. I think, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think she's the first person to win an Oscar for acting while they are also concurrently on a, a TV show. Or maybe it's a, a primetime TV show, or maybe it's a sitcom. I don't remember the specific, excuse me, I don't remember the specifics of that stat. But, like, it's something to that effect where her win comes comes at some level of like she wins an Oscar while she's currently starring on a TV show or something. How, I mean, um, how many people win Oscars and Emmys in the same year? Uh, very few. Not, very not few. a lot. There's no. still only one person that has won the Best Actor Oscar and the Best Actor in a Drama Emmy. Do you know who it is? What year? Uh, I mean, that I, gives it away. That gives yeah. it away. I don't remember what year he won the Emmy, but they're both semi-recent. Oh, it's semi-recent. Okay, 
Not Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, within the past 10 years. Okay. Did Matthew McConaughey win for True Detective? If he did, it would have been in limited series or miniseries. It's the weirdest fucking thing. Is it it Rami Malek? Rami Malek, the only person to have a Best Actor Oscar and a Best Actor in a Drama Series Emmy. Because, like, Kevin Spacey never won for House of Cards. And I don't even remember who else you could even throw in that conversation. Wait, he's the only person to have both ever? Yes. Ever. Oh, I thought you meant, like, in the same year. No, ever. No way. Yes. Yes, the Best best Lead Actor Oscar what? and Best Actor best lead actor in a Drama Series Emmy. The only person, the only crossover between those two. Unbelievable. That's insane. Very much. Very Wait, much so. Art Carney, maybe that was comedy. Yes, no, because Honeymooners is a comedy. What? Oh my yeah. god, this is the most shocking thing I've heard all day. It's weird, right? It's weird that that's I true. I hate that. I hate that. It's so strange. It, it seems that like there would be some type of crossover at some point. Oh my goodness. And yet. And yet. I don't know. And you're right. Who won this year? There aren't what? even there are, are there even any in supporting actor? Like Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it opens no no supporting actor at the Oscars, lead actor at the Emmys. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't that. think there's any. There might be one somewhere. Let me check. I don't on that, think actually. I'm looking at this list. There isn't I don't think so. Leading actor. Drama. Let's see. No. You could be wrong. Or I mean you could be right. Sorry. I, I don't know why I said it like that. Um Yeah, I think I think there nobody no supporting actor Oscar winner has ever won the Oscar the Emmy for lead actor. Okay, how many have even been nominated now? Not oh, many. I really want to check. Okay, because going... there are so many repeats. Yeah, this... going backwards chronologically, Rami Malik is an Oscar nominee. Brian Cranston is a nominee Oscar nominee. For acting specifically. Yes. And then, it, and then it takes a really long time. Before that, you have and to go James all Earl the way. Jones is one and Peter Falk is one. And yeah, because like, oh, because Tom Skerritt never got nominated. Christopher Lloyd never got nominated. Mandy Patinkin. James Gandolfini never got nominated. James Spader. There's, there's, it's under five. Yes. Very. James Garner That's is an Oscar so nominee. That's so interesting because the. Helen M- Savalas is an Oscar nominee. Hal Holbrook. Yeah, when you get way back, there's like, there's like maybe five total. Yeah, and the thing is, for lead actress in a drama series, there's so many more. Yes, I wonder why that is. That's so strange. I don't know how to feel. I guess, I guess maybe when you're specifically like a lead actor on a TV drama, you get so tagged with that that it can be hard to have a movie career. But like, like how that's played, sort of John Hamm and. one. There's one. That's truly bizarre. How did we get on this topic? Helen Hunt. Um, uh, but yes, so like she has this big, big era where it it burns very brightly for her, and then like the the point where a lot of people cite the the like the biggest point of Helen Hunt backlash is in 2000 when she's in. Uh, uh, here I'll I'll pull up the full list of the movies she has that year. But it gets cited a lot as like everyone's sick of Helen Hunt all of a sudden because she's in everything. So yeah. in 2000, she is in Castaway, Pay It Forward, What Women Want, and Dr. T and the Women. Uh, 
And that's, those are, because she doesn't make any movies in between As Good As It Gets and that. She doesn't make anything in 98 or 99. Well, she was probably making those. Yeah, she was probably making those because Castaway was a long time coming because they had to, that was a long shoot. And then, yeah, she comes back with those four movies and everyone's like, no, we're done with you, Helen Hunt. You are no longer allowed to be a movie star. And what's interesting is that her next nomination, which you get to talk about at some point, is excellent. I think I think The Sessions is a great indie movie that she and John Hawks are amazing in. And that's the best performance she's ever given. So I can't wait to talk about it. I yeah, haven't seen that's it. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, there's not even a lot of movies since then. And like the ones that she is in, it's stuff like Bobby and The Curse of the Jade Scorpion, which Always is a even part of a big ensemble. She didn't yes. have any leading. Like even among the 2000s Woody Allen movies that nobody talks about, truly nobody talks about The Curse of the Jade Scorpion. And she's in Soul Surfer and a movie called Jock the Hero Dog, which is a South African-American 3D computer animated adventure comedy with Brian Adams and Donald Sutherland. Do you know what oh. I genuinely think nowadays she's most remembered for? Aside maybe like her Oscar and Emmy wins. Is that tweet she made in 2012 when she's or 2011 when she said just recorded a dev, just filmed a devastating death scene expecting a nomination? That is yeah. the best thing. She, it's like I, I want more actors to do that. Yes. I mean, it's like that and Twister. That yeah. that's all. She is apparently, according to her Wikipedia, she is in the movie I Love You, Daddy, the Louis C.K. movie that came out right before he got canceled. Right. I did not know she was in that. Oh, boy. And anyway. then, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Helen Hunt is up to. But, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, looking at this category, I might rank her just second or third just because there are moments that she's funny. She's on the blind spotting TV show. Weird. Huh. Forgot that show happened. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through her Wikipedia filmography. It's a strange, strange sight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I forgot Mad About You came back in 2019. Oh well. Anyway, what else do we want to talk about? I mean, I'm glad we both agree that Judy Dench like easily. Yeah. Although, do we want to have talk about Jackie Brown? Yes, I was gonna say, do we want to dip in a little bit? Yeah, because my toes in the Jackie Brown combo. This is an issue that happens a lot. So, I mean, look, I I don't think there's a way around this. If if you really think there is no non racially motivated explanation behind Pam Greer missing for this, like I'm sorry, I just can't come up with a good reason for it. Yeah, widespread support, SAG Globe. Like, what more is there to need? If I were watching these nominations and saw them announce Robert Forster, I'd go, oh, ja- Pam Grier's in. I-, I mean, I just would have assumed it was a thing. And this happens so much where you have a movie with a predominantly Black cast and they nominate one actor and they're white. Do the right thing, the same thing. Amistad, the same year. Black Klansman, same thing. I mean, what? It's it, there's no other explanation behind it. I, I'm always mad that they didn't nominate her for this because that's one of the best performances ever. Yeah. And if she was nominated, like everyone would agree that she should have won this. Everyone. It's it's like a unanimous thing that she should have been here and won. 
it's it's insane to me. I, I mean, there isn't an, a good explanation for it. It's ridiculous that she missed this. Yeah. Especially yeah. considering this group. It wasn't a co- competitive year. Yeah. The fact that Julie Christie got nominated and not Pam Greer. And like... I get that they're coming from two different careers and Julie Christie is a like has a career of like movies that are respected on a mainstream level and she's a previous nominee previous winner and uh, Pam Greer is coming from a more pulpy career a more B-movie actress career and something that just like people always put more stock in the comeback narrative that the academy since like the 90s more often than not does not go for the comeback in the same way mm. you see it with burt reynolds the same year you see it with mickey rourke you see it with michael keaton you see it with sylvester stallone right. where sure. yeah well maybe uh, that's that's kind of why i'm hesitant to predict him this year no, is I mean the, for the nomination, at least. Oh, yeah, for the nomination, I think he's in. But, like, for a win, like, more... If you have a comeback, counterintuitively, they want you to be coming back from a career that's had hits. Which, like... Excuse me. Then is it really a comeback? Or is yes, it just... that's the thing, is that, like, Burt Reynolds doesn't win as sort of, like, a, a punishment, quote-unquote, for having made bad movies in the past decade or so. Mickey Rourke but doesn't also, win. Like, Robin Williams, like yes, there's other narratives at play. That's, that's but much, like, yeah, the fact that the Burt Reynolds narrative isn't the comeback narrative isn't strong enough to push him to a win. Same with Michael Keaton. Same with Mickey Rourke. Same with these comebacks that are sort of labeled as sure things. They just fall a little bit short because it feels like the Academy is punishing them for like body of work. Like, Sylvester Stallone doesn't win for Creed because his body of work doesn't back it up. Uh, same it's with my... Yes, it's insane. And, like, Pam Greer is so good in Jackie Brown and is so, like, I don't... I mean, it's going to be years before I do that one because I'm truly saving it for, like, yeah. later on down the line. I am not going to talk about Jackie Brown anytime soon on this podcast, although I really want to. Like, it is an exercise of restraint that I am keeping myself from talking about Jackie Brown because I fucking love that movie yeah, and that performance cool. and Robert Forster's performance in it. Like he's my no, no, winner I, I know in that category, and it's a great. Like, he was the only nomination for it, but I'm only saying that because no, like, I know what you mean. I know exactly yeah, what you mean. He's he's really good in the movie, and he, he's my pick there. It's just like both of the leads should be there. They too. should both be there. It yeah. is wild that they aren't, and. It's a real shame. It's a legitimate shame that this is not a nomination and a win for Pam Greer because it is a defining performance of this year, of this decade. Yeah. And I mean, I think another thing that you do have to consider is the, uh, I mean, talk about this movie, the the afterglow, sort of the negative afterglow from pulp fiction where so many people are underwhelmed by Jackie Brown because it's not what they expect as the follow-up to a movie like Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And I think that hurts its chances. I think in some weird way, the fact that it's positioned as a comedy at the Golden Globes, at, at like a point where the Golden Globes are their most impactful on the Oscars, like this era 
of globes like mid to late 90s is when they have maybe the biggest uh effect on that kind of thing i think that certainly doesn't help it because it, it gives voters a way to write it off as lesser than even though it is decidedly not a comedy i mean it's funny it's a funny movie but i don't think if you're gonna if it's if all. it's between drama and comedy it's much more of a drama yeah but i think it's just yeah there, there's no good way to explain how she gets snubbed here it's just it, it's right. it's a real missed opportunity in so For many sure. ways i mean and also like speaking of drama and comedy briefly like if you look at the globes the actor and actress in a drama winners are so much better than the comedy ones but the comedy ones go on to win the oscars which is rare like yeah peter fonda and yuli's gold and judy dench and mrs brown i think both should have won the oscars for best actor and best actress neither of those people ever peter fonda never won an oscar and judy dench never won a lead oscar which is always so strange to me it does it does feel weird that's so I mean, this is the perfect time because after this, it's like, oh, we need to reward Helen Hunt. She's the it girl. But if you don't reward Helen Hunt here, it's not going to have an effect in the future in any way. Not rewarding Judy Dench here had an effect on the future for the Oscars. Yeah. And I mean, so many missed opportunities. I mean, the entire Oscar ceremony of, ni- of, the, of the 1997 films to me is very bad because I, I love Titanic. I grew up with Titanic. It's great. It's not undeserving of any of its awards. But it won literally everything besides acting. So it's and makeup. Of, Don't forget. Makeup. Don't forget. Like, Men in like Black is an Oscar ceremony win. to watch because it's just Titanic, Titanic, Titanic. And then the acting categories come, and Titanic isn't really going to win those. So it's like, I mean, I know Gloria Stewart kind of had a chance there, but I don't think she was really ever going to win. It's just not enough. But it's like you have a chance to do something interesting. But then. Aside from Robin Williams, who's great, but it's not like an interesting choice. It's just like a deserving, compelling choice. You have three wins who are like genuinely not good. I I don't think Jack Nicholson is good and as good as it gets. I don't think Kim Basinger is good in LA Confidential. You have so much opportunity here, but it just isn't interesting. It's, It's really unnecessary what was happening. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. This is this is a year I'm going to be talking about a bunch. I'm yeah. going to be talking about Yuli's Gold, and am I talking about the Apostle? Yep. Okay, I thought so. I could uh, I couldn't remember which of the late '90s Duval ones between this and a Civil Action I did get to talk about. I think Civil Action got a screenplay nomination. Obviously, I'm going to be talking about Jackie Brown. I'm going to be talking about In and Out. So and like, you almost get to talk about Mrs. Brown, which feels like it should be there, but makeup makes sense, I guess. I guess. Yeah. And costumes could have made sense. Yeah. What? Okay. Now let me actually pull that up because I, I don't have the the page pulled up for this year's Oscars because I closed out of it on accident. Jackie, I mean, Mrs. Brown got um, actress in makeup. Oh, I, I I hadn't even thought about that, but you ha- you would have Mrs. Brown and Jackie Brown in the same category, yeah. huh? If only. The thing about the, I mean, the BAFTAs just absolutely nominated the absolute fuck out of mrs brown that movie got a best film best actor actress screenplay costume. eight nominations yeah yeah that's that's more than moonlight oh wow <laughs> yeah they, they went love their, they love their costume drawings i mean but... they gave seven nominations to romeo and juliet that year so, like good for them that was i mean that makes sense 
And I, yeah. I mean, I think I think Mrs. Brown is better than a lot of these movies, even though it's not like Oscar worthy besides Judy Dench. So it's like really shows yeah. the weak year. I mean, I've I've never even been a big fan of LA Confidential. I know a lot of people like it, but I've always thought it was just okay. Goodwill Hunting I like, but a lot of people have that as one of their favorites. And I and I always thought it was really good, but not quite there. And the Full Monty is a really fun movie. Um very interesting that it that it got a best picture nomination. It even won SAG, which is kind of awesome. I yeah. Mean, cool. But weird that it's there and Titanic makes sense, but like they really, I mean, this year at the Oscars just Yeah, and it's the kind of thing too where like the cooler, better movies do get nominations and get major nominations. So it, it feels even more like like it's not like oh, well, I really like this movie from this year, but they were never going to nominate it. So I, I can't get too pressed about this weirder movie not right. cutting in. But like Boogie Nights gets acting nominations. Jackie Brown gets the nomination. And have... the Sweet Hereafter got director. I mean, that's awesome. What if that yeah. got a director? That would have been so cool because that movie didn't get any like precursor. Yeah. It was such a yeah. small. Uh... It's just, it, it just goes to show you like the broad appeal is always what's going to happen in Best Picture more so than the more out there choices. And, and like, I, and I have a question about that because yeah, what it is if there are five more, what do you think? Okay, they are? okay, let's do this. I, I have a set five for this, and I I want to see if you're gonna agree or disagree. I know I I do too somewhere, and this is an interesting year for it because there's like a lot to pull from. I think, uh, with the director, agree that the sweet hereafter, yeah, with the director nomination. Sweet I think Boogie Nights gets yes. I'm gonna say Amistad just because that got PGA and SAG. Yes, the- that was highly expected. That was a, supposed to be like another big Spielberg dramatic play. So and I think we can say those three are ninth and tenth. It's hard. I'm actually gonna say Wag the Dog yes. just because they like their political movies that got actor screenplay that got like a comedy Golden Globe Best Picture nomination that got a Critics Choice Best Picture nomination. It got like BAFTA nominated for adapted. And and Dustin Hoffman didn't really miss a beat there. Yeah. And then I'm going to say, like, Wings of the Dove 10th, but, like, wouldn't yes. have been. Like, that's the one that would have fallen off. I, I think, yeah, I am right there with you on those five. I would say, like, maybe spoiler potential for Mrs. Brown or Kundun, but, like, those two would be maybe an 11th or 12th if they're they're slightly lesser. I would hope for something like Jackie Brown, but I don't think that really could could have happened even. Like but yeah, I think I think you those five that we that we said are are pretty much it. Yeah. And those five I would say if it was that five, it would have been ah, I oh. don't know. Because the Sweet Hereafter and Boogie Nights are great. But then after that, I don't know. I don't know. I I still I, I haven't seen all of those, so I can't really speak to that. And again, I haven't seen Titanic, so I can't speak to that. Which it's so funny to me. It's kind of to a point where like I almost don't want to watch it just so that I can keep telling people, "Hey, I've never seen Titanic," because it's I don't know. It's it's fun to be able to say that and get a reaction out of people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anything else we want to say about? these Oscars there's really not much to talk about in terms of afterglow because like truly where else could this have even gotten a nomination where best, could it... 
director. No, no, no sort of. Could you imagine if it got a random director nomination? I genuinely, truly can't. (laughs) By which I mean, like, even in trying to imagine his name on that list, I have already forgotten his name. So literally, I cannot imagine this movie getting a Best Director nomination because I can't picture it because I don't remember the name. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I think that's really everything yeah, that I a have. Wild one. This is a wild one. Yes, it's a weird one. Not the weirdest movie that you and I have talked about on this no, podcast. But certainly the but worst. Yes. Oh, far and away, this is one of the worst I've covered. Yeah, it is. Like, or I'm just sure it's it's one of the worst movies to ever get an Oscar nomination in an acting category or major category. I would agree with that from what i've seen there's a lot that i still need to catch up on there's a lot of nominees that i am still in the dark about but from what i've seen it's definitely in the lower tier Mm. yeah not good yeah uh we almost don't even have to do this but as a formality in your fantasy world where you get to pick all the nominations what nominations would you have given afterglow Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Actress, Editing, Cinematography, Screenplay. Um, I would give it, like, costumes and visual effects, obviously. <laughs> uh, just Sound. Every, every, I mean, everything. Best Original Song for the song from West Side Story. <laughs> Makeup for the Julie Christie sunglasses and, and, and eyeshadow, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'd give it both original dramatic score and original musical or comedy score because it's a dramedy so it's eligible for both categories uh i nominate it for best documentary because it's that realistic best foreign film because it was filmed in canada and they say french words sometimes yes yes uh best animated feature because these are all cartoon characters these are not real people yeah no nothing nothing. razzies yeah blanked across the board if you ask me Julie Christie is is fine, but not not remotely worthy of a nomination for an Oscar. That's insane that this happened. That's Do you think he came in last place in the voting. Probably, like even who if who was voting for this, like who? Yeah, no, like not even that, but just who saw it? Who made this movie a priority? Who who cared enough? Who like I genuinely I don't think anyone but i don't even think julie christie voted for herself no she did you the way she looked after they played her oscar clip she was like looked confused that would make sense i would imagine she probably voted for judy dench yeah i think a lot of actors did but a yeah. lot of like, the other people who are persuaded by again broad appeal as good as it gets was a broadly appealing movie it was very successful at the time but if it was made now, it would make no money and no one would care. Yeah, because those types of movies just don't get made. I think that'll do it for this episode. We managed to talk longer than the movie Afterglow, which is <laughs> something. I don't know how we did that, but uh, thank you for coming on. This, this was fun. This was a lot yeah, of fun about a movie that's not a lot of fun. No, not a lot of fun. More fun to talk about than yeah. to watch. Yes. Absolutely. A lot of these are like, I was just talking with someone recently about how like some of the most fun episodes I've had were some of the worst movies like that Saratoga Trunk episode was a goddamn blast. 
the vip is like watching a comedy and then talking about it isn't fun because it's like an in the moment thing that's making you laugh it's not interesting to hear someone say oh i really thought it was so funny when that part did that like that's it's it's type one fun not type two fun if you get yeah yeah but like man it's fun to talk about these bad ones more people should reach out to me like anyone listening if, if you have podcast experience even if you don't have podcast experience but you want to try reach out to me from wherever you got this podcast shoot me a dm this is an open forum select some of these bad movies because i don't want the last year and a half of this podcast to be me talking exclusively about the bad and obscure and forgotten ones because all the good ones got out of the way now and yeah. it's smart that you're saving some of them for like yes. special episodes. I mean, that's that's kind of how you do it. Yes, I'm saving Jackie Brown. I'm saving Gone Girl. I'm saving my cousin Vinny. I'm saving some of these big ones to be like, this is going to be a, a landmark episode. This is going to be a movie that will draw people in later on. So it's not just like 20 movies from the 20s and 30s and 40s that no one's ever heard of. Hmm. Yeah. Where can uh, So where can people find you and your stuff? What do you have to plug? Um. Well, your episode on my podcast was the last one I ever uploaded. Oh, not intentionally. So I just I don't really do it anymore. I mean, I might come back to it one day. Um, but Gordon was on there a few times. If you want to listen to it, it's the Oscar doesn't go to. Um, but mostly you can just find me on Twitter, Sam the Parasite. That's kind of where I'm at now. Not much else. Yeah, right on. Uh. You can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Quiet open